0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Investing with Wesley. In today's episode, I want to continue on our conversation about our previous episode about the ETF bubble. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the derivative aspect of things though. So let's get into it. So in this video, I want to talk to you about how derivatives tie into this ETF bubble and why we should be worried about it. But before that, I want to explain to you exactly what a derivative is, because they're probably one of the more confusing part of financial securities. So what is a derivative? Well, a derivative is a financial security or an investment and its value is reliant or derives from an underlying asset value. Now I know I just threw out a bunch of words at you right now, but that definition will actually make a lot more sense as we progress through this episode. But basically a derivative is a side bet compared to some other security. So let's just say we were talking about Apple stock. I bet my closest friend that Apple stock was going to continue to go up, whereas he thought it was going to continue to go down. We both bet each other $100. If I win and the stock goes up, I get that $100. But if I lose and the stock goes down, he gets that $100. What we just did is considered a derivative, as simple as it may sound, because it was a side bet compared to some other investment asset going on in the market. So just like the definition says, its value is reliant upon an underlying asset. The value of our bet that we just made between me and my friend is reliant upon the value of that underlying asset being Apple's stock. Now when it comes to all of the derivative markets in general, it totals a value of almost one quadrillion dollars, way more than even all the total assets combined in the overall stock market. Derivatives far outpace any other kind of investing, and this is because they are so easy to do. Now the two most common kinds of derivatives out there are the CDO and the CDS. This is the credit default swap and the collateralized debt obligation. Now yes, right now these two are the most common derivatives traded, however, these two were also the two biggest derivatives traded during the 2008 global financial crisis where the housing market in the United States just plummeted. Now the reason it's called the global financial crisis and not just the giant housing market crash of 2008 is because it affected more than just the United States housing market a bunch of investment bankers all across the world invest in the united states market specifically these investors were investing in the housing markets cdo's now you might be wondering yourself well what is a cdo so i've taken a clip from the movie the big short to explain to you exactly what a cdo is
1: A collateralized debt obligation it's important to understand because it's what allowed a housing crisis to become a nationwide economic disaster here's world famous chef anthony bourdain to explain (laughs) Okay, I'm a chef on a Sunday afternoon, setting the menu at a big restaurant. I ordered my fish on Friday, which is the mortgage bond that Michael Burry shorted. But some of the fresh fish doesn't sell. I don't know why, maybe it just came out. Halibut has the intelligence of a dolphin. So what am I going to do? Throw all this unsold fish, which is the triple B level of the bond, in the garbage and take the loss? No way. Being the crafty and morally onerous chef that I am, whatever crappy levels of the bond I don't sell, I throw it into a seafood stew. See, it's not old fish, it's a whole new thing. And the best part is they're eating three-day-old halibut. That is a CDO.
0: Okay, so we know that a CDO is basically a bank or other financial institution turning in these other debt-related products that didn't sell to investors and repackaging them into something new, worth selling. But there's also something out there called a synthetic CDO. And again, I'll play a clip from the movie The Big Short where they explain to you exactly what a synthetic CDO is.
1: OK, so here's how a synthetic CDO works. Let's say I bet $10 million on a blackjack hand. $10 million because this hand is meant to represent a single mortgage bond. OK, Selena has a pretty good hand here, showing 18. Dealer showing seven. That's a really good hand for Selena. Good odds, in fact, your chances of winning this hand are 87%. So, my odds are good. I'm on a winning streak. Everybody in this place wants to get in on the action. How could I lose, right? Now, this is a classic error. In basketball, it's called the hot hand fallacy. A player makes a bunch of shots in a row. People are sure they're going to make the next one. People think whatever's happening now is going to continue to happen into the future. During the real estate boom, markets were going up and up, and people thought they would never go down. So people who are watching and think that I won't lose will make a side bet. Now this is the first synthetic CD. I love Selena Gomez. I bet you $50 million she wins. And I'll give you a three-to-one odds. Three-to-one odds? Okay, I'll take that bet. Now... Somebody else is going to want to make a bet on the outcome of their After bet. That'll lead to synthetic CDO number 2. Hey, I bet you 200 million that lady in the glasses wins that bet. She probably will win. So I want a great payoff.
0: About 20 to 1.
1: Deal. And this will go on and on with more and more synthetic CDOs. And we can transform an original 10 million dollar investment into billions of dollars. Okay, so now that we understand what a CDO and a
0: synthetic CDO is and we truly understand exactly how much gambling goes on behind the scenes of Wall Street, it's easy to understand exactly how we got to that one quadrillion dollar amount traded in these derivatives. Now I don't want to scare you and make it sound like derivatives are bad because truthfully if used properly and researched properly, they are very good investments because as we learned in that second clip, you could get 20 to 1 returns on these investments. But exactly how does this tie into the ETF bubble? Let's get back to that. I explained to you that the fundamental investor like Warren Buffett or Michael Burry steps out when they see that all these prices are getting way too high and there's just no value left into the primary market. Because the ETFs are just buying and buying and buying into this primary market, It's inflating the prices, creating false demand, and the fundamental investors that are very knowledgeable on how to find value see that this is happening, so they step away. But obviously they're in the business of making money. They can't just step away forever and wait for the crash. So they turn to derivatives. This is where you get buying options, investing in futures, shorting, and of course other derivatives. So in my previous episode, I explained to you that Warren Buffett steps away. Now, I don't know if he's actually doing this or not. He's just the character I created in this story. But Warren Buffett steps away, but because he still wants to make money, he makes a side bet with the investment bank. Think Goldman Sachs. He basically bets Goldman Sachs that the value of this underlying asset, in this case, it's the market index. He's saying that the value of this index is way too high and that he bets Goldman Sachs the value of this will go down in the next year or so. What he just did was make a side bet or a derivative to an investment bank at an underlying value. He's saying that the value of the total stock market is going to go down within one year and that he's willing to bet this much money. Let's just say it's a million dollars. Warren Buffett says he's willing to bet a million dollars that the total value of the stock market will decrease within a year's time. Goldman Sachs bank disagrees and says, no, the total market will go up. So I'll take your bet because I know I'm going to win. So on one side of the coin, we have someone betting a million dollars that the market will go down. And on the other side, we have someone betting that the market will go up. Now this side bet is reliant upon that underlying asset. That's what makes it a derivative. But this bet actually has no collateral and no inherent value. This is just a bet between two people agreeing to pay each other. But probably one of the other things that is kind of scary about certain derivatives is that you can sell them to other investors. So let's say in this scenario that Warren Buffett did bet $1 million to Goldman Sachs that the total market was going to go down. Well, he knows if the total market goes down, there's a likelihood that Goldman Sachs will default and not pay him that million dollars. So he wants to, in a sense, guarantee that million dollar profit. So what does he do? He decides to sell it to somebody else. Someone else will hold that risk and instead of him collecting the full million dollars, maybe he takes a little bit less. Maybe he takes $750,000 up front and then sells that derivative to somebody else where they will hold that risk of Goldman Sachs defaulting in the event that they can collect that extra little bit of profit. So just by making a bet to Goldman Sachs that the market will go down and then selling that bet to someone else profited this wise investor $750,000. Now obviously in the real world, it's a lot more complicated than that and there's a bunch of different contracts going on and I'm very much simplifying all of this. But there's really only one subsect of people that do not care about the price of anything in the market and will just keep on buying if it gives that particular item value. And yes, of course, I'm talking about the ETF managers. If they see something that will give their ETF more value and more equity, then they will buy it at any price. Because they're issuing shares out equal to the amount of equity or value of that etf so let's say you're investing in this etf and everyone else is investing in it with you but then come to find out this etf is only investing in these kinds of derivatives and there's no actual stocks in their portfolio in the event of a market downturn or these etfs go bust the equity or value in that etf goes all the way down to zero in an instant this is what gives certain etfs a lot more risk Now I'm not gonna say that SPY or any other broad market ETF is investing solely in dividends. That's just ludicrous to assume. But I will say that certain ETFs, even though they index a broad market, will still invest in derivatives. That way it adds even more equity and even more value to their etf and as we talked about in that last episode when the primary markets the actual stocks and companies themselves are going down that in turn will make the etf value go down and in the event of another global financial crisis where both ends of this market are plummeting rapidly these derivatives could possibly implode because there is no collateral to these side bets it is solely reliant on the investment bank or whoever the loser is To cough up the money and if credit freezes and all these banks go into a squeeze where no money is moving anywhere because of this crisis then whoever the loser is can't create debt or can't use credit to pay for these bets and therefore they go into default or they go bankrupt and then whoever they owe doesn't get any money either this is what caused the government to have to step in and bail out all these banks because all of them were engaging in cdo practices that were just completely illogical and had to be bailed out, otherwise our entire economy would have collapsed way worse than it actually did. As the investor buying into these ETFs, you're experiencing an increased amount of risk in this ETF because you don't actually know what those derivatives that are located in their portfolio are betting on, or if whoever the loser is of this deal can actually cough up the money. Okay, now I wanna bring home two different sides of the same coin. And on the first side of the coin, we have an indexed ETF bubble that people are passively investing into with no regard to true price discovery. And then we also have derivatives. Now derivatives are on the same side of this coin that this bubble is on. The other side of this coin though is the interest rate, specifically the SOFR rate. I've made numerous videos already on the different kind of interest rates that are charged. There's one on the prime rate, federal funds rate, and of course the SOFR rate that we're talking about right now. Now I encourage you to watch all those videos on the SOFR rate so you really understand exactly what I'm saying right now. But in short, Because the United States is switching from the LIBOR rate over to the SOFA rate, we are almost guaranteeing that the SOFA rate is going to skyrocket because it is connected to the United States repo rate. And the repo rate is known to just randomly skyrocket over 500 basis points overnight. Now 500 basis points sounds like a lot, but it's really just about 5%. Again, Wall Street jargon made to sound a lot scarier than it really is. But even though the SOFR rate is known to just jump up 5% overnight, that is still a terrifying thing considering a lot of things are tied into the SOFR rate. Sure, things like credit cards or home equity line of credits or other variable interest things are tied to the SOFR rate, but where the SOFR rate is terrifying in that it could jump up and skyrocket at any moment overnight is that the SOFR rate also is tied in to derivatives. Some derivatives like credit default swaps will charge interest. So as this interest is being charged, it is a variable interest rate connected to the SOFR rate. If the SOFR rate skyrockets and the people investing in these derivatives can't pay that excess interest payment, then that entire derivative goes bust. And considering we're talking about just under one quadrillion dollars worth of derivatives, that is a lot of money that could potentially go bust at any moment. So whereas in 2008, it was the banker's fault for approving mortgages that were subprime, meaning that whoever took those mortgages out couldn't actually afford to pay them back. At that point, it was the banker's fault for approving these loans. During this next global financial crisis, it's my assumption, it's all going to start with the SOFA rate, and the SOFA rate is going to skyrocket, causing the derivatives to blow up. And because such a large amount of betting is going on in the derivatives market, and a bunch of these ETFs are investing in these derivatives through these side bets, if the derivative markets explode, that will make the deals that these ETFs are investing in them explode as well. Now because the SOFA rate has already exploded at this point, it's going to be really hard to get credit or to use debt to pay for all these losses that these investors are going to take. So their next best opportunity is to use the equity in their investments. This is the total stock market where the real companies are like Apple, Amazon, and Google. They'll sell off as much positions as they possibly can, to pay back the losses that they had on this bet. And that causes this bubble to pop because you already have the ETF value going down due to these derivatives, but now you have the actual primary market of these stocks going down because of all the sell-offs. So as I explained to you in my last episode, when you have a sell-off over here as well as a sell-off over here, it forces the market maker to step away and completely gets rid of all liquidity in those markets and thus causing the bubble to completely pop and a bunch of people on either side of this coin to lose a lot of money. This is how derivatives are tied into the ETF bubble and why we should worry about these derivatives being connected to the SOFA rate. Everything is connected to each other one way or another and it all comes down to interest rates. Because the United States is just so over leveraged in general already with how much debt we operate on, whether it's government, personal, or business, we're just completely overlevered. So if interest rates were to go up even 5% because of the SOFA rate, then that could send the entire system crumbling and send us into another global financial crisis. Now, if you're understanding everything that I'm telling you right now, or based on your own research, believe that I am right, and that we will see another global financial crisis coming soon within the next 5 to 10 years, then stick around because in my next video, I'm gonna to explain to you exactly how to prepare for this and how to structure your investments to where you don't really need to worry about it or how you could properly bet or invest to make sure you come out profitable on your beliefs. I hope you got value from this video. If you did, please remember to like and subscribe because it really helps YouTube algorithm get this channel out there. I have a dedicated Facebook and Instagram account, so if you ever had a question or comment or wanted something addressed, feel free to message me there because it's a lot more likely I'll see that message there as opposed to siphoning through all the YouTube comments. Either way though, the choice is yours and I'll see you in the next episode.